Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 250, yes, being recorded on Thursday, January 7th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Happy New Year, Jason. It's a new year, and you actually said the wrong year in the intro, so we need to uh, we need to jolt your brain and bring it back Back into 2021 here. Get you out of the the time-traveling hot tub. Yes, absolutely. I do feel like there should be a grace period, but uh, thanks for like not saying anything during the eight rehearsals and then pointing it out on the live show. The grace period ended on the 7th at about uh, 9 p.m. Sorry, you just missed it. Darn it. Just my luck. <laughs> well, oh, that one you day when it? you make a mistake, I'm going to point it out, too. It's, uh, it's been been uh, a long time already, so we'll see. Uh, the 250 episodes, we do about 50 a year, so that feels like we've been at this about five years, if I'm doing my math right there. Yeah, uh, most people get sick of me way before now, so you you uh, definitely are getting some kind of um, perseverance trophy. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, have I outlasted your wife at this point? I'm pretty close, if I recall. Uh she has more years. You might have more concentrated time because of my usual travel schedule. But like, let me just say she's gone uh, more of a dose of me than anyone should ever want uh, in the COVID year. Yeah. If you can survive COVID, then you can survive anything. Exactly. The Also, you get to update your slide and say, if you enjoy this talk, there's 250 hours of me out on the Internet. I know. I know. Don't don't give away my cool lines from my live presentations. Sorry. It always gets a chuckle. Everyone's like, <laughs> uh, did you have a good holiday? I did. Uh, like many people, um, kind of atypical. We didn't do our usual holiday routine. We we mostly hung out at the house, but I got to spend a lot of time with my wife and Stephen. And uh, uh, maybe in some like COVID-induced um, – craziness i did try to take on a couple of new hobbies so we'll i'm sure they're not going to stick so we'll see how that goes but it was kind of fun to try to learn some new things cool and i saw you updated your profile picture everywhere that got a lot of a lot of chatter out on the interwebs so that was good you you're actually smiling in your new profile picture i did i did uh i like to take uh listeners feedback um i'm just a little slow so i took a picture like a year and a half ago and I must have been having a bad day because I was not smiling. And uh, perhaps the most consistent feedback I get uh, is that, uh, hey, Jason, that picture doesn't reflect your personality. You should get a picture where you seem more happy. And so a mere 18 months later, I, I got around <laughs> retaking the picture. <laughs> the good news is you haven't changed your Zoom avatar. So I'm sitting here looking at good old 2020 Scally, Jason. Oh, uh, gotcha. Just yeah, the one well, I've known for five years. So as I'm you know, scared. we've had a little hiatus from the show, so I haven't uh, had to fire up my personal version of Zoom in a while. So um, so thank you for pointing that out. I will update it. I uh, Shortly before the show, I got a new avatar from Shop Talk. 
the one of the caricature. Yeah, kind of yeah. So you know, I've been a. I, I have actually spoke at every Shop Talk Grocery Talk event, and so Shop Talk started in 2015, and they they did an avatar a caricature for me back then, and um, the. Uh, as a cost-cutting measure, they kept inviting me back and reusing the same caricature. So this year, it's been six years, they did a new caricature. So uh, you can go on Twitter and you can look at the the six-year... I haven't aged a bit. My skin, my complexion is exactly the same in my, my cartoon caricatures. Nice. Very cool. Did you get any fun uh, gadgets to report on for, for the listeners? A few things. Um, so... I, uh, the thing that I'm having the most fun with is super lame and geeky. And I think you also are going to say you got an upgrade in this genre, but as, as you and the listeners will already know, I have a way overkill video conferencing setup here. Um, yes. so I, you know, I do spend all day in front of the camera for work, uh, but, and it, it's helpful to have a nice setup, but I, uh, at some point long ago, I way surpassed the, the, um, effort uh, versus return um, ratio as I kept adding more toys to the setup. So the toy I added over holiday, um, I'm really digging. I got like a pretty commercial teleprompter to put in front of my camera. So I used to be, you know, have a laptop right below the camera lens. And so you're, you know, you should be looking at the camera lens and you could see your, your PowerPoint presentation or the people you're interacting with right below the lens. But I, I noticed in a bunch of webcasts that it looks like I'm always looking down and not making eye contact, uh, despite my best efforts. So now my, I have a mirror of my laptop screen that's literally right in front of the camera lens. So I'm staring while I'm like looking at you or reading my slides, I'm, I'm staring right at the lens and that's, it's worked out really cool. So it's transparent, so you're looking through the camera and the camera can't see it? Yeah, and that that's basically what they do, like, at every, like, news station in the country is there's, like, a, a glass that's reflective but allows uh, – but is clear from the back um, that's at a 45-degree angle um, that's in front of the lens, and then you put a monitor below that glass that's reflecting up. Got it. So it very looked, cool. Yeah, so it looks very similar to a newscast. And I, in fact, I've done a couple of television segments this this holiday season, and uh, uh, both of the producers like laughed at me when they saw my setup. They're like, "Yeah, that's a little uh, further than most people take it." Uh, so, I, so that has been a fun toy. And then I did buy. It's totally cool. I will never like get full use from it. Uh, I am non musical. Never took a music lesson. Don't know how to play any instrument. Um, but I saw, uh, I, I totally fell for some Facebook ad and bought this thing called a Lumi, which is a, a small piano keyboard, uh, with, uh, LED keys that light up. And so you, you, uh, it interfaces with like an iPad and there, it teaches you how to play the piano and it like highlights the keys as you play them. So, so think of it as kind of like guitar hero for a piano. Very cool. So, so I've taken a bunch of uh, online piano lessons over the last two weeks, and uh, it's been fun. It's totally cool. I have no talent, and I'm sure I'll give it up in the in the next few months uh, as work gets busy again. But is that L O O M I or L U? It's L U M I. Luna. Okay. Cool. Awesome. It's some good new stuff there. Yeah. What about yourself? I feel like you both had a much more exciting holiday, and I'm sure you got some better toys. 
I don't know. The I did uh, squeak a trip in there, so that was fun. We went to a beachy destination, so that was good. Um, got a little. We're here in the very cold North Carolina, so we're, we got down to forty, so we had to escape that to warm weather, which was good. Yeah. Are uh, your neighbors annoyed that you're tan now? <laughs> they are. Yeah, we are. We are pretty tan. Um, and then on the gadget side, I am. I'm like eight steps below you. I finally got a, a kind of a more modern uh, DLSR without a mirror that I can do better streaming with. So uh, I've been having fun trying to get the firmware update on that. That's been an adventure. Uh, and then I got a lot of Mandalorian stuff, including a baby Yoda who wants to say something. That's baby. Oh, that was the most boring one. Ooh, that's him using the force. Can you feel it? I do, I do. Although I think that's him saying, "My name is Grogu." My name is Grogu. Uh, so that was good. Uh, yeah, so it was it was great. And then um, my son got a PS Five, and I got an Xbox X. So we're we're caught up on the consoles, which is good. I always like to keep those current. And yeah, any so initial like I feel like the. The normal narrative is that people are liking the PS5 better. Is that your impression as well? Or That is. Yeah, they, they did a really good job on that with the industrial design and the online components and all that jazz. So that is actually getting more play than the Xbox right now. Um, and then there was a, as a software guy, it was really fascinating to watch this cyberpunk debacle. Have you tracked this? You probably did. Yeah, a little uh, bit. Yeah. So they, they released this game. There was all this hype. And then it was so buggy that Sony actually, um, if anyone bought it through the online portal or through the Sony channel, if you will, um, they refunded everybody, um, you know, even kind of unbeknownst to the game developer. And that caused a whole rift between them and the game developers working hard to fix the bugs. So it's a it's a classic uh, you know, example of uh, it's better. Sometimes we fall into this go fast and break stuff mindset but this was one of those times when that did not work yeah they broke a little too much stuff yeah they broke stuff and it just broke yeah just uh, proving the adage that there's no bad press but there are some fun youtube videos if listeners want to learn about this just google cyberpunk bugs and you know you'll be driving your little car around and you'll end up inside of a building and all, all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of uh, very strange glitches in the code there I like it. Very cool. Well, it's January, and you know what that means. It is event time, um, and you are uh, you always speak at a lot of these January events. Uh, walk us through what you have coming up. Yeah. Uh, so ordinarily, January is the most miserable time of year for me because shortly after New Year's, I'm jumping on a plane, flying to Las Vegas uh, to hang out with 300,000 of my closest friends at CES. Um, and then usually I catch the flu at CES, which has a whole different connotation this year. Um, and then have, while sick, have to fly straight from New, from Las Vegas to New York for NRF, which um, I do look forward to NRF. It's fun to see uh, lots of my, my friends and peers in the industry, but it's a long two weeks. Uh, so this year, both shows are, of course, virtual. So Virtual CES, I'm really curious how that's going to work. Like, to me, a big draw at CES is randomly discovering stuff that you had no idea existed on the trade show floor. Um, and I, I have no I, I'm cynical that they'll be able to recreate that digitally. But on the flip side, 
the keynotes are so popular and it's so congested that I rarely get to see them. Um, and this year I'll, 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 of course, get to watch any of them that I want. Um, so that's yes, that starts uh, next week. And then uh, NRF is doing a two-part show this year. They're doing a virtual show in January. So that'll uh, be stretched over like a week and a half. Um, a uh, week after next is when it starts. And then they, they do hope to do a uh, chapter two uh, in-person show in uh, sometime in the back half of the year. So um, I will be uh, presenting a little content in NRF and, and uh, um, trying to take as much advantage of, of that as I can. But full disclosure, the best thing about NRF for me is uh, getting to see all, all of these, you know, friends that we don't get to see in person all that often and often you come so we get to uh hang out together for a little while and so it's going to be uh a little sad for me uh to not not have that experience yeah i'm gonna miss standing outside the javits center and freezing pelting rain and sleet trying to get a cab when none's available and rolling a suitcase through all that misery (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know that we have time on this show but sometime we'll have to like i i do think COVID uh, is probably an accelerant of um, sort of a lot of these events uh, permanently changing. So it, it's interesting to think about some of the ways that 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 this will affect permanently affect the the events industry. The other thing I've never gotten about NRF, uh, and I do love it because you and I get to go see all our, our buddies. Um, it's over the weekend and like some of the best contents on like Saturday and Sunday. And it's just like, come on, guys. It's like yeah. the only show I know that does that, but they're kind of like, we're retail. We're going to have a weekend meeting. It's just like, nah. Yeah, I think in their defense, I agree. Um, and in their defense, uh, I'm not sure this is the right decision or not, but what, what you have to remember is that's a hundred-year-old show, um, which is remarkable if you think about it. Um, and so the they are still following the basic case, like it's in the exact same location, the same time of year and the same days uh, for almost that entire hundred year presence. Like occasionally there's some like a like a holiday will fall in the middle of that and they'll have to change the schedule. But like there's um, there's some nod to history with those days. And and like in fairness to them, uh, people complain about it, but everyone goes and partakes in that show has grown every year. So it's hard to. It's hard to convince them that those days aren't working. I think they all uh, think the opposite side of that argument, as you and I often do. And I think they would show that retail is flexible and able to change with the times by getting rid of the weekend hours. Yeah. Well, I think they're hoping to show that this year by going virtual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, COVID, uh, COVID gave them no choice. Yeah. And then, of course, the event that I feel like everyone is more looking forward to than either of those events, as good as they are, in January is the annual Jason and Scott predictions podcast. Yeah. Usually we, we try to wrap it up. Uh, we do a recap and predictions in one show. It always is an hour and a half, uh, which is a little long. So this time we're going to split it up. We're going to cover a bit of a recap and some news here today and kind of put a bow on 2020. Uh, and then next week we'll put our big prediction show out. Exactly. So that good cliffhanger, Scott, I like it. Bum, 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 bum. And this is a great time to remind folks that we love five-star ratings. So if you would go to your favorite podcast listener and leave us some ratings, that would be great. Uh, so, Jason, let's kick off the recap of the year 
with our favorite topic, ship again. Uh, what ha- what what's your conclusion for how that went? Uh, I saw Amazon put some stuff out there. What did we learn from them? Yeah. Um, well, Amazon didn't like, you know, obviously the retailers are hesitant to talk about uh, what went wrong with their shipping. Um, so I haven't seen any sort of ship again in specific numbers from Amazon. Amazon did issue a press release, uh, you know, bragging about a lot of their accomplishments and kind of the the top line. The, uh, they didn't disclose any overall GMV sales. But what they did say is that third parties um, sold $4.8 billion on uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So 3P sales on those two days were $4.8 billion, um, which is up 60% from the, the previous year. Um, so I can remember when it was a big deal for, you know, to have a billion-dollar day. Um, and, and uh, you know, now they're, they're talking about both of those days being just the 3P sales being over $2 billion, which is impressive. Um, and I, you know, we've talked about this before, but I feel like Amazon is really focusing on bragging about the three P and how they're helping small businesses, uh, because I think that's a a good narrative for them, um, you know, vis-a-vis some of the antitrust climate that's out there. The, um, it is, you know, I, I wish there was more public data out there, uh, Anecdotally, it feels like what happened is uh, FedEx and UPS, by being really stringent on what they took, they were able to get most of their deliveries done. You know, so there are some some cases where they missed some things, but uh, you know, what what I think that happened is because shippers couldn't get as much through those two channels, they really flooded USPS. So. Um, you know, there's no, unfortunately, no, the USPS doesn't kind of generate a report that says, hey, look how many packages we missed. But um, since you and I were really well known for Shipageddon, we got a lot of reports that there were some things that got there really late. I know individually we had some stuff ordered in early December that didn't show up until literally just, you know, like January 4th kind of time frame. Um, I had done a, a, a calculation that it would be somewhere between eight to 12 million packages would be my guess that, that ended up late there. Um, the folks at ship Bob, um, you know, we had them on and they talked about their, their tracker. Uh, so if you go look at that, uh, they still have it up. You can see that the, the days to ship got up as high as kind of mid six to seven. So six and a half days. Um, and then that's, I think that's actually short because when you look at the time it was taking, um, you know, days to just get the tracking numbers entered in the system on the front end of, of the whole process. And even a lot of times, you know, on the back end as well. So we would, we'd have a package delivered and then three days later, I'd get a notification from the USPS that it had been delivered. So, so it seems like their infrastructure, their, not only their, their hardware infrastructure with trucks and whatnot was maxed out, but, but off, you know, definitely the, the software side as well. So, um, you know, uh, that was interesting. And then that teases up for re- Return of Giddon, which I guess we'll talk about on the next show, possibly, if that's one of our predictions. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, anything else you saw on Ship Again? Yeah, no, I, uh, again, I think it's mostly anecdotal data. I don't think there's a perfect roll up to say, like, Ship Again was, was, you know, more acute than expected or as acute as expected. Uh, in general, I would say, uh, that while things slowed down and got gummed up a little bit, they mostly held up like that. I, you know, I don't think, um, 
FedEx or UPS like really got horribly behind and they were able to work through those those spikes. Uh, part of the reason for that, uh, I'm going to explain in our next segment. So I'll, I'll put a pin in that. Um, but the, the, the lack of scanning data, all the carriers got a little behind in scanning and, and USPS got way behind. And of course, a lot of USPS pack products are not trackable anyway. So, um, that actually, uh, dramatically exacerbates the slow delivery from USPS. So if if you think about it, if you're an e-commerce business and you ship something to a customer um, and it doesn't arrive when that customer expects it and they go online to track it and the tracking says it's lost or it hasn't shipped or it's, you know, in transit someplace far away, um, that customer generally expects you to reship a new version of the package. And so it, it uh the the fact that you that the shippers couldn't clearly articulate where all these packages were in the network caused a lot more make goods and just the customer calling into customer service is super expensive. So all this extra where's my package calls and all the extra customer accommodations that had to happen because of the slow delivery and the source scanning caused a real problem. And then if you were in a category like perishables where you're shipping cookies or something like that. Um, it was a mess. And so I, I do think it's it's very clear that there were a bunch of holiday packages that were shipped via U.S. Post Office that did not arrive in time for Christmas. Um, as a pure antidote, uh, the that Lumi piano I mentioned, I ordered well in advance of Christmas. They promised it for Christmas. Um, and they, they sent a communication saying, hey, we've shipped them all. Uh, we have no idea where they are. We can't track them. Our, our carrier isn't telling us where any of them are. It it now appears some of them aren't going to arrive before Christmas. So uh, hopefully yours arrives in time for Christmas. If it doesn't arrive in time for Christmas, here's the the bonus that we're going to give you, right? Like, and they they just had to send that to everyone because they they couldn't tell who was getting it on time and who wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and it's super frustrating if something's late and it's just kind of like the you know it the the shipper has not uploaded the information. You're just like, what you have it. You know, your, your go-to as a consumer is you told me this thing shipped, but I'm going to the tracking and it's not looking like anything's happening. Exactly. It's uh, it's not fun. Well, cool. So we, you have been updating clients on um, kind of the year end summary. Walk us through some of the highlights. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to, uh, not spend a lot of time, but I'm going to, uh, a brief, uh, foundational, um, element is when you're in this business and you're talking about holiday, like what are the sources that you can use to track, uh, how the holiday is performing? Um, and so I just wanted to highlight that there's, there's no perfect answer. Like we, we don't have clean reporting that, you know, on a day by day basis tells us in real time, uh, what's going on out there. So we have to piece together a bunch of imperfect data sources. So um, the way to th- think about this is, um, to me, there's there's kind of like uh, four or five big categories of information. Um, there are companies that try to tell us in near real time what's happening with e-commerce, right? So they they nobody has kind of real-time data on the brick-and-mortar stores, but um, there are a lot of tools that e-commerce sites use that see a big chunk of the traffic uh, through those e-commerce sites. And many of those tool vendors are set up to to um, kind of give summaries of sales in real time. So uh, the ones we talk about on this show most often are uh, Salesforce.com, formerly Demandware, 
um, you know, do a lot of real-time reporting. We had them on the show during holiday talking about how things were going. Um, Adobe is one of the best sources out there. A lot of people use Adobe for their, their analytics for e-commerce sites, and they report a lot of their data. Um, and then there are other tools out there like Bloomreach um, and, and others that also try to report real-time data. So one, one input we have in the holiday are these real-time data from these digital providers. Um, then there are folks that uh, have big panels of users and, and measure how consumers behave on the web. Um, so these aren't tools that are on the e-commerce site. These are tools that are in the consumer's browser. Um, and so these are tools like SimilarWeb and Comscore. And generally you pay for them and they, they provide you some really useful data about traffic to specific sites. So, um, so I look closely at those. They, they tend to only report, uh, one month in arrears. So, you know, it's usually not till the first week in December that I can see November's web traffic and, you know, uh, and, uh, so on. Um, so those are really useful to tell us how many actual visitors, uh, went to Walmart versus Amazon, for example. Um, then there are folks that don't know what you bought or where you bought, uh, what you bought exactly, but know how much you spent and where you spent it. Right. And these are people that have access to credit card data. So there's a bunch of third parties that have access to credit card data. And again, they tend to be time delayed. So there's companies like, uh, Factus out there. Um, my company, uh, Publicis, own a company called Epsilon. Epsilon sees $3.5 trillion of consumer spending every year, so about half of all consumer spending. But we uh, we don't really get that data until 30 days after the fact. Um, one of the credit card companies, MasterCard, published their data much more promptly. Um, and so MasterCard has a reporting product they call Spending Pulse, uh, which is a super useful recap of uh, spending both in stores and online that can come out maybe a week after the fact instead of a month after the fact. Uh, folks like eMarketer that we have on the show regularly publish like estimates uh, of what they're seeing, um, largely by synthesizing these other sources. Um, and then there are a bunch of tools that specialize in measuring how many people walk into brick and mortar stores. So the stores have meters on the front of the stores that measure the traffic. And some of those meter companies are allowed to anonymize the data and summarize it. So that's companies like Sensormatic and ShopperTrack. Um, and then there are other folks like cell phone companies or uh, CDN networks like Akamai or, or these companies that use GPS software in your phone like Placer AI. And they all put out these real-time estimates of how many people visited the stores. So that's the pool of data sources we have. And so when you say, how did Holiday go this year? I I try to roll up those data sources. So the the first thing to say is like, what what happened on the on the Turkey Five week? Um, so that uh, Thanksgiving, Cyber uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, Thursday, Friday, Monday. Um, so I go to the Adobe Salesforce Bloomreach data um, and you'll see that they don't all agree. So on uh, Thanksgiving, those companies reported that e-commerce sales were up between 20 and 28 uh, percent. So we were predicting that the whole holiday period would be up like 33, 35 percent. So 20 to 28 percent is it's healthy growth, but it's below expectation on on actual Thanksgiving. Um, Friday was even lower. Those guys said the range was 21 to 26 percent. So, again, healthy growth. Not as much growth as last year and not as much growth as expected. Um, and, you know, given that because of COVID, 
growth is just up dramatically everywhere, uh, this felt a little disappointing. And then Cyber Monday um, was even more disappointing. The range was 10 to 24 percent. So um, so these are all imperfect sources, so we don't know exactly. But basically, it feels like Thursday and Friday were up 25 percent and Monday was up 20 percent. Um, and so the the big three days that we would normally expect to be the biggest e-commerce days were big days, and they actually set records for the most e-commerce, but they weren't as spike on top of spike as um, we sort of expected or feared going into the holiday. And I, I honestly think that this was really good news for Shipageddon. I think if if these three days had been like acutely up, that would have been the big pig going through the or the uh, going through the snake and really gumming up sales, and it would have taken a long time for for the carriers to catch up. But because those days were a little more moderate, um, the the uh, shippers were able to to catch up and keep up a little better. Um, so, do, do those three days mean that that holiday was was below expectations? Um, and the short answer there is no. A lot of the data that looks at the whole month of November or November and December or even October through December um, show that we probably came in at the 33% e-commerce growth that we were expecting or better. Um, and the data definitely shows that uh, purchasing did start earlier. So there was a lot of talk about would Prime Day in October and the sales in October, would they be able to pull sales in October? And the... Uh, the preponderance of the data is that e-commerce was way up for the holiday period and that the holiday period started early. So what happened a little bit is instead of all the sales happening on the big three days, it got spread out towards all the days of the season. Are you tracking me so far, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I would add is, and you may be going there, the the shape of the holiday. So if we kind of kick off Thanksgiving you know, you would normally have this kind of, uh, you know, V shape. So, so you have the spike at the beginning, then you have this kind of lull around the 12th to 15th of December. And then you have like what I call the procrast- procrastinator pop this year. Um, it was like a downsloping line. So we didn't have that, that kind of shape to the V in the e-commerce side of things. Um, and I think that was, I think you and I played a role in that because we educated people on Shepageddon. Uh, we saved Christmas, Jason. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations to you. So we, uh, I think, hopefully we, you know, in all seriousness, hopefully we did help out by alerting people to shop earlier um, because, it, you know, I think we we ended up, I lost count. I think we ended up with like 30 or 40 publications, really, and, and these are pretty material ones, like today, today Show and stuff that picked up ship again. And so hopefully it did play a role in not causing that, that back-end surge to really Muck, muck up things. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, have no idea, but I'm, I would like to pretend that it, it, it contributed at least in some small way. Um, I think it's unanimous amongst us, uh, the two yeah. of us here. Two out of two podcasters agree. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just as a sanity check on that on that uh, Cyber 5 data, uh, I looked at Akamai's web traffic data for that same period, and they basically said that traffic was up about 27, 28% on those days. So that, that passes the smell test to me. Traffic was up in the, you know, just north of 25%, and sales were, were similarly up. Um, 
I pulled the similar web data for November, uh, which sadly I'll have December's data tomorrow. So <laughs> for the next show, I can tell I can tell you November and December. But for uh, November, the whole month of November, web traffic to the top twenty e-commerce sites was up thirty eight percent. So that gives you an idea of how all of November was up versus just the spiky days. Like the spiky days were up 25%, but the whole month of November was up almost 40%. Um, and if you're uh, interested, like for the whole year, similar web would say web traffic was up 25% this year over last year. So co- that's the COVID effect. Um, and then November had this other nice, nice spike up to 38%. Um, to me, it's, one of the cool things about similar web is I can see the traffic for each individual retailer. So I pulled the top 20 um, and the, the biggest traffic sites on the web are uh, for e-commerce are Amazon and eBay. Um, and they are basically up at the industry average. So they grew like 25%. Um, the big winners is that next tranche of retailers. So the, by far the biggest traffic winner of the season is Etsy. They were up a hundred percent this year over last year. Um, Walmart was up 75% and Walmart's traffic is now almost identical to eBay's. So, so they're similar size. They grew a lot faster. Target, Costco, Sam's, uh, and Bed Bath and Beyond were the other kind of 75% or better growers. So, so what really kind of happened is the biggest e-commerce sites got their kind of traditional share of growth, but then, you know, uh, as, as they, you know, uh, ran into capacity issues and things, people turned to this next tier of retailer and they, they grew the fastest in this thing as those, those omni-channel retailers. So to me, that, that was super interesting. Um, so, so far we've all been talking about digital, what, what sales were like and what websites were like. The other half of this equation is the other half of this equation rather is what happened in stores. Um, and that wasn't very pretty, right? So, um, the, I mentioned that there are these uh, t- tracking services. Um, Sensormatic said that traffic was down near 100% on Thursday. That makes total sense because a lot of stores that traditionally were open on Thursday uh, were closed for Thanksgiving this year. So uh, that's not a shock. Um, but then Black Friday, which ordinarily would be the highest traffic day of uh, the year, um, was down over 50% for most retailers and, and down even worse for department stores, down even worse for malls. Um, and looking at a bunch of the different traffic sources, that, that was pretty consistent is that, that traffic is way down in brick and mortar stores at the same time we're seeing traffic being way up in, uh, online. Um, so when you look at the guys that track credit card data, that, that's kind of, where they come out. I mentioned Factus. Factus said November uh, brick and mortar sales were down 4% and online sales for all of November through their data set was up 78%, which feels a little skewed high, but that kind of gives you an idea of the order of magnitude. And then to me, what ended up being the best data source this year is that MasterCard Smart Pulse. Um, so they said in from November through December 24th that brick and mortar sales were up 2.4%. And online sales were up 47%. Um, so that feels like a, a, a pretty good middle ground on all the data sets that I looked at. Um, the, if you break that down into categories, uh, you know, there are categories that were clear losers this year. So apparel was down 20%. Department stores were down 10%. Luxury 
um, which includes a lot of jewelry, was down 21%. So those were the categories that got most hurt. And then the categories that did really well, uh, furniture, furnishings were up 16%. Uh, DIY, so the, the Home Depots and Lowe's of the world were up 14%. And grocery, as I've talked about a lot on the show, was up about 7%. So um, that is kind of how all of these uh, preview data sources play out. And then, of course, um, the the data sort we, source we talk about a lot on this show is the U.S. Department of Commerce, and uh, they do not publish December data until uh, January 15th. So um, oh, I think uh, that's a week from tomorrow, next Friday. Uh, I'll download the the December data, and I will you know start start putting some of that data out on uh, on my social media platforms, and then I'm sure we'll do a podcast about it shortly shortly thereafter. Yeah, and I'll be watching um, for when Amazon uh, announces Q4. So if the MasterCard data is right and Amazon grew that fast, that could be pretty surprising, I think, to, to everybody. So that's going to be interesting to see if they benefited from it and you know where Etsy ends up and Shopify. So we'll be reporting on all that as it comes out. Yeah, and I will just one other side note I failed to mention. Um is that uh, when the the November data came out from the U.S. Department of Commerce, I did write an article about that in Forbes, um, and it it actually has some kind of cool visualizations that we put together that kind of show how fast cat- which categories are growing very fast versus last year, and which categories are suffering. Um, and we also included in that article kind of um, all the public retailers and what they reported as their e-commerce growth. So I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the Forbes article if you want to check that out. Yeah, did I see you tweet over the holiday that you wrote some code to uh, pull this data into a new cloud, a JSON cloud? Yeah, so that that was the other hobby I foolishly undertook uh, during the the um, the holiday uh, period when I had some downtime. Is um, the the U.S. Department of Commerce like publish all this data on a website? There's kind of a cool interactive tool you can use, or you can download Excel tables. But you, um, all the interactive tools just let you take one slice at a time. And, and a lot of the slices I'm interested in cause me to have to download like eight or nine different slices and kind of put them together in Excel. Um, I work with a bunch of fancy data scientists. So over time, they help kind of um, automate the Excel process for me. But uh, I, I, I really was getting tired of doing all that. I wanted to get a faster analysis. So I kind of took it upon myself to say, hey, how can I pull the commerce data from an API and how can I automate all these different um, looks that I wanted to do? Uh, And so I actually, uh, the first thing I needed was a development environment. So I actually uh, had never kind of gone hands-on on on, uh, uh, AWS and EC2 instances. So I learned how to spin up a bunch of different kinds of EC2 instances, started playing with code. And what I landed on was... uh, um, a Python script, and it turns out that you can run Python pretty easily natively on my Mac. So I didn't need to use those EC2 instances, wrote a Python script that grabs all the data, and I throw it into Tableau. And then I kind of taught myself how to build some, what to me are cool dashboards in Tableau. So I'm super excited for next Friday, because if, uh, if nothing's broken... I'll I'll get a fresh feed of this data the second it publishes to the website and it will automatically flow through all my my visualizations. So that uh 
was my giant uh, coding time sink uh, for this thing. And then I'll throw one other thing. After I did all this, I discovered another cool AWS amenity called Lambda, which lets me actually run my Python script without a server instance. So it's kind of a serverless way to run Python. Um, and so that I now have a Lambda service set up to actually go grab that data and throw it into my Tableau. Cool. Soon you'll have this running on your watch. You can uh, press a button on your watch and tell us how the uh, how the the Department of Commerce data is looking. Exactly. My dashboards are already kind of chunky. I do not want to make a watch version. <laughs> okay, that'll be your twenty twenty two. Yeah. Plan. Yeah. So if any if there's any Tableau or uh, data science geeks on the on the show that want to sync up, uh, at some point I do plan to sort of open source all this. So if anyone else wants to. Uh, take advantage of my misspent holiday. Um, you're, you're welcome to any of these tools. Very cool. Uh, anything else on the recap? Uh, I think that is it for for holiday at the moment. Again, um, uh, you know, I think given the pandemic circumstances, it's remarkable. I think retail is going to be up. Uh, brick and mortar will be, you know, softer than usual, but it, that was more than made up for by by e-commerce. So, you know, from a, a, a remains to be seen what profitability will look like. But from a revenue standpoint, I, I think it's going to be a, a a strong Q4. And I, I pity all the the retailers that are going to have to comp against it next year. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating year from from that perspective. Let's jump into some news. It wouldn't be the Jason and Scott show without some Amazon news. Your margin is their opportunity. Yeah. So in true fashion, we, we, in the chip again, part of the show, we did talk a little bit about some of the news uh, out of Amazon, but there's been a lot more, um, one of the ones I saw that I wanted to get your hot take on, um, I think it was two or three years ago, Amazon partnered with, let's see, Berkshire Hathaway and was it JP Morgan? Um, and they were going to do this kind of trifecta go solve healthcare uh, thing. And it was called Haven. And I noticed uh, as a CNBC junkie, uh, the big news, um, I think it was last week, was that they have unwound that effort. Um, and then you've been talking about how Walmart is kind of got its eyes on this, this same kind of area. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's super interesting. So you're right. Like, uh, Haven was a big deal. You figure like Jeff Bezos, Jamie Dimon, Warren, uh, uh, Buffett are finally going to solve healthcare for all of us. I was thrilled. Um, and yeah, this, this week or, or end of last week, it, it dissolved, which was kind of surprising. Um, but, uh, looking under the covers, I, I have a hypothesis for what's going on. So uh, healthcare is a super important category that I think Amazon and Walmart care a lot about. They're both investing billions of dollars in it. Um, you'll remember a couple months ago, Amazon launched a, a significantly enhanced pharmacy offering called Amazon Pharmacy. And um, if you kind of follow all the coverage of the the leaders at Amazon and Amazon Amazon Pharmacy, one of the interesting side stories was that there was a lot of internal conflict at Amazon between in-house healthcare efforts and Haven. Um, and what it's sounding like is that there was a lot of competition, that a lot of the management team at Amazon felt like they were in the best position to 
come up with unique new products and that Amazon, you know, uh, embracing the day zero or day one method mentality kind of w- was capable of moving very fast and being very innovative. And that maybe this, this doctor led joint venture with, with, uh, JP Morgan and, uh, Berkshire Hathaway wasn't capable of moving as quickly or being as innovative. And so I actually got the strong sense that there were a lot of people at Amazon that wanted to do healthcare internally and did not like the partnership. Um, and so I think pharmacy is one of the efforts from these internal efforts. Uh, and it sounds like they may have won the day because I, my understanding is Amazon pulled out of Haven and that kind of caused it, it to dissolve. So, so my expectation is we're, uh, still going to see some big investments and some innovative, uh, solutions from Amazon in healthcare in the, in, uh, in 2021. Uh, and, uh, you know, we also have seen a lot of really interesting things from Amazon. I do think this is going to be one of the big clashes of the titans this year. And hopefully we all benefit because, you know, the whole country could use better health care. So, yeah. Did you see any other interesting Amazon news? Yeah, a few things. Um, so one that kind of uh, is super interesting and tickled my fans, my funny bone a little bit. Uh this year, um, so AdAge like do these studies on who the biggest advertisers in the world are. Um, and uh, this year, Amazon surpassed Procter and Gamble to become the world's largest advertiser. So, so Amazon will spend eleven billion dollars um, on uh, advertisements, getting people to come visit the Amazon site and properties. And uh, uh, a very large chunk of that is Google. I, I've been led to believe that Amazon's the largest advertiser on Google. And um, that's that's interesting. And it's kind of funny to me because, of course, there's been a lot of news lately about Amazon being an advertising network and competing with Google. And it, it almost feels like when you look at it through this lens, it almost feels a little bit like like um, audience arbitrage that like uh, Amazon bought $11 million of eyeballs from Google and sold them for $14 billion. <laughs> the uh, there was a lot of noise about Shopify um, and Amazon working on a, a kind of a inside effort to to counteract their thing. In fact, someone said, you know, Bezos is highly engaged in digging into that. Did did you read that? And what'd you make of it? I did. I actually I was curious what your your take on that was. So the I think the key article was. Um, you know, the, the Bezos had kind of moved out of day-to-day uh, uh, operational management of Amazon um, and that, you know, he was spending a lot of his cycles on initiatives outside of Amazon, obviously uh, um, Blue Origin and, and some of those other things. And that the, the pandemic and, you know, some of the unique challenges sucked uh, Bezos back into a very hands-on role. And uh, these articles that were talking about Bezos coming back all talked about one of the initiatives that he took a hands-on effort in was Amazon's response to Shopify. Um, and uh, so I'm really curious to see how that manifests. Uh, Scott will know, and some of our listeners will know, Amazon has been in the Shopify business before. So Amazon used to have a product called, uh, and now I'm going to confuse the name in my head. Uh, Amazon Web Store. Amazon Web Store. Thank because you. Everyone, everyone called it AWS. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so that, that at the time, like the, the big like SaaS web platform might have been for small businesses, might have been Google Shops or Yahoo Shops. Um, 
And so this was kind of Amazon's, you know, better version of Yahoo's product. Um, Yahoo, of course, is not in that business anymore, and neither is Amazon. Um, they they shut that down a number of years ago. Um, and so since then, you know, Shopify has emerged and has been wildly successful as a SaaS e-commerce platform for small businesses. Um, and it sounds like Amazon doesn't like that. And so it sounds like they're they're figuring out what their competitor is going to be. And, you know, it, it'll be really interesting if it's a revised version of those Amazon Web Stores or something completely different. I was I was curious if you had any take on that. Yeah, it's tricky because. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about this. Let's save it for the prediction. Sure. All right. Fair enough. Um, but that's going to we'll, be a fun we'll one to pile watch. on the teases. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what my favorite bit of news was since our last show. Um, Amazon came out with a product that totally surprised me. Um, they came out with a made to order T-shirt product. And uh, the the reason this is interesting to me is a common question I get asked is like, hey, Jason, how do you compete with Amazon? Right. And I used to have all these stock smart aleck answers like for a long time. It was like, you know, sell something that has a bunch of complicated attributes like, you know, car parts that you have to figure out how it fits in the engine. And, and as Scott will know, Amazon solved for that and is a huge player in car parts. Right. And they have a fitment database and they do all that. Uh, and so then I used to tell people, oh, sell live plants like Amazon doesn't know how to ship live plants. Um, so as all the listeners that got their Christmas tree from Amazon this year will know, Amazon now sells a fair amount of live plants. My wife buys live fish from Amazon. Um, so they've kind of figured out the plants and animals thing. And so, you know, my last smart aleck answer was always like sell custom, you know, made to order products, right? Like the Amazon fulfillment centers are all you know, predicated on on warehousing a bunch of something and shipping it fast to a customer, you know, they, they don't want to make stuff on demand for customers. And so lo and behold, Amazon's like, yeah, we're going to make custom T-shirts. We're going to sell them for $25 and we're going to ship it to you five days after you order it, which um, the normal lead time in made to order apparel, you know, is is usually measured in months. Um, so you think about like uh, Indochino that was on the the our, our show uh, a number of years ago. Like they've they've done a lot in made to order suits, but you know it's it's like a six to eight week um, made to order is getting increasingly popular, but it's still like his you know is kind of a sleepy industry that like made customers accept like uh, a lot of friction. Like you both would have to go to a tailor or go to a showroom and get measured. Um, and then you have to go home and wait, you know, uh, weeks or months to get your your stuff. So this felt like a disruptive offer to me from Amazon. Like, A, it was interesting that they're bypassing all their fulfillment centers and, and tackling custom-made products. And they're saying, hey, you know what? We're going to use artificial intelligence and computer vision in the Amazon mobile app to measure you so you don't need to go to a showroom. We're just going to use your webcam, the camera built in your phone to measure you. And then we're going to make and fulfill the product in five days. And so, you know, whether whether we all need custom T-shirts or not is an open question. But from a from a, a intellectual exercise standpoint, this is a really interesting new space. And am, and my initial reaction to Amazon's offer was like, if they're able to deliver on that, that's that's really strong. And so um, I uh, took it upon myself to try it. Um 
and so I ordered, uh, uh, I used the camera, the, uh, measured myself and ordered a t-shirt a couple of days after they launched the service. So I ordered, my order went in on December 16th. Um, they did promise five day turnaround and they were not able to do it. Like obviously this happened over Christmas. Um, so my t-shirt arrived on, uh, December 29th, which is 13 days. Um, so if someone would have promised 13 day delivery for made to order apparel, I would have thought that was super impressive. I'll be honest. It felt a little disappointing because they set this expectation for five days. Um, but I will say anecdotally other people talking about this on social media, there definitely were people that got their, their first orders faster than I did. Um, and I'm willing to cut them a little slack that this was, you know, right over the, the, the Christmas spike. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to do another order, um, you know, when things slow down a little bit and see if, if they're able to hit that five days. Uh, but, you know, Cliff, you know, I know all those listeners on the edge of their seat. I thought it was an awesome T-shirt. Uh, it's 25 bucks. Um, it was, uh, you know, to my my sensibility, it was a very high quality fabric. They have two options. They have a, a lightweight uh, fabric that's like a blend of... Um, uh, modal and cotton, and then they have a, a medium weight shirt that's 100% cotton. So I did the medium weight. Um, it fit me really well. Uh, it was a really easy process to use the the um, camera in my phone. Um, you know, a lot of people on social media were joking, like, "Great, the you know the one piece of information Amazon didn't have about me." Um, you know, my exact body size. Now I'm giving to Amazon, and yeah, there you know there is a uh, an interesting privacy story and data collection story here. But uh, uh, as a consumer, uh, it's the best $25 t-shirt I've ever owned. I probably have some more expensive t-shirts that like I like a little better, but uh, um, it's darn impressive. And, you know, it's not hard to imagine a future when you'd want to get all your clothes custom made if you could do it that easily and that accurately. So I, I think that's a, this is a potential really interesting um, offer and it, it is an interesting space. I've been watching the space. Uh, a, another company that had an exciting innovation at the same time is M Taylor, and M Taylor has been in this business of using your phone to measure yourself for a while. And the same time Amazon rolled out their service, M Taylor upgraded their service to let you measure yourself using the lidar in the latest and greatest iPhones that you and I have. So I was also eager to see if. The, the LiDAR app on the M. Taylor could measure better than the camera app on Amazon. Um, so I did also order some custom clothes from M. Taylor. Um, the app came out a couple days later, so I ordered uh, uh, some clothes from them on the 20th, and it arrived just a couple days ago, January 5th. So that was 16 days. Um, and it also fit pretty well. It's interesting um, I definitely don't feel like it was a better fit than Amazon that used, you know, the camera instead uh, versus the LiDAR. Um, the I will say the fits are slightly different, but my suspicion is that's just the design of the garments that like the Amazon shirt is designed to be a little bit of a slim fit and the the M. Taylor is a little baggy. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I definitely think made to order could be the future of apparel. Um and it could definitely be a disruptor if if people are able to cost effectively deliver better fitting apparel, um, you know, that's as fast and friction free as as, uh, you know, we used to get off the rack. Yeah. 
And then, um, so are these t-shirts meant to be like undershirts or you, do you typically get something printed on them or how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, these are the, this first offering from Amazon is just t-shirts and they're plain t-shirts. They, they have two weights and I, I suspect that the, the lighter weight is primarily intended to be used as an undershirt and the, the heavier weight could be an undershirt or it could just be a, a casual t-shirt. Um, I guess you could take it somewhere and have it silk screen, but they're not selling any any sort of graphics. Uh, they are selling it in a bunch of colors. Got it. Uh, awesome. And then um, the LiDAR on the iPhone is on the back of the phone. So are you having to kind of like mount it on a tripod and stand in front of it while someone lines it up? Or like how how did you pull that off? That's a great. You can't really do a selfie, right? That's a great question. Uh, so side note, you're mostly right. Uh iPhones actually had kind of a version of LiDAR on the front of the phone for longer. The face scanner actually is a a, a time-of-flight sensor. It's not technically LiDAR, um, but it doesn't go far enough to be useful for measuring your body. So you're right. The the only like sensor on the iPhone is on the back, and so that makes it uh, very difficult to use yourself. And so Amazon calls it a two-person process, and so they basically um, – you, your, in my case, my wife held the phone and followed their instructions, and it played instructions for me over the speaker. So it's like, uh, you know, stand this way, rotate right, and I, I couldn't see the screen because my wife was holding the phone. So it required two people. Um, sorry, that's the M Taylor experience with the lidar. Uh, the Amazon is completely self service. So Amazon has you rest the phone on the ground. Um with the uh, uh and it's using the the selfie camera the front facing camera um and so you can see yourself on the screen um and it it you know was i would say easier you could do it alone um you know you need to be wearing tight fitting clothes or not wearing a lot of clothes when you do these things so you could imagine Ooh. yeah wanting um some privacy and then you know you have to decide <laughs> if you want to you can you have to decide if you want to trust these guys, but they all claim like obviously they're sending a half naked. So not only does Jeff have your picture, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's only fair because we have his <laughs> naked picture, so it's only fair that that he should have ours. Um, they all claim as part of their privacy thing that they don't retain those images, that they just retain the measurements. But obviously, you know, every, uh, customers. Uh, are going to make their own determination about how much they trust all these vendors. But I, I do think that is one of the impediments here. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, uh, sidebar, it is a very sad day for Jeff. He is no longer the richest man in the world. I know, but I feel like you're a fanboy of two billionaires, and so it's like I feel like one of your one of your idols got replaced with another, if I'm not mistaken. It is, yeah. If I had to go, if I had to take one of my favorite billionaires to a deserted island, though, it'd probably be Elon. So I'm excited for him. He, I do, I suspect he would just be more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Jeff is comes across as kind of a little grumpy lately. Uh, yeah. You talk about first world problems. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Any other Amazon news before we head to some other news? Uh, I. The two other small, uh, well, I get a small one and a medium one. Uh, the small one that I just, I just think is super awesome, uh, kind of statement for the pandemic. Uh, as you know, Amazon has an Air Force, uh, as part of their fulfillment network. Um, they lease all the planes. 
And so uh, a big piece of news last week is Amazon bought their first 11 planes. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, they're, they're continuing to rapidly grow their own fulfillment capability and making a major investment. Um, and they bought eight of those planes from Delta Airlines. So in my mind, that's just the perfect kind of wrap up of the pandemic right there is that like airlines don't need their planes anymore because no one's flying. So Delta is selling all its planes to Amazon that needs all the delivery capacity they can get their hands on. Yeah, and we're converting malls into fulfillment centers. So there's like this huge shift of of things um, happening in in all these industries. Exactly. Maybe we'll revisit that one on the on the prediction show. But I'm I'm like super not. Uh, I, I I'm cynical that we're going to see a lot of malls turn into fulfillment centers, or at least yeah. So we'll talk about that later. Um, but certainly it gets talked about a lot. And then the last piece of Amazon news we've talked about on the show before, but Amazon has a new grocery store format that's not Whole Foods. So it's called Amazon Fresh. They opened a couple in L.A. Uh, during the pandemic. So annoyingly, I had to read about them, but I couldn't go visit them. Um, and uh, apparently, uh, you know, we as we know, Jeff's a frequent listener of the show. So he he was kind enough to order them to to open an Amazon Fresh store in Chicago. So I took my family as a holiday treat to drive like an hour into the suburbs of uh, Chicago in Naperville and uh, go visiting the Amazon Fresh grocery store. And you'll you'll be happy to know, Scott, that the Amazon Fresh store is now my son's favorite grocery store. Oh, good. Did you uh, did you put him in the little cart and does it like ring him up? It's like you just bought a son. I did. I did. And you bought a child. Yeah. Thankfully, they <laughs> they uh, they uh, he was not in their database, so I wasn't charged charged for him. Um, like obviously, I was going to observe the store, um, and you know, my wife and five year old came with me, and uh, um, to to sort of make things even with Steve, uh, easy with Steven, we did let him like pick some treats and he like brilliantly gamed me and my wife to double the amount of treats he was supposed to get. Um, so it's his favorite store because he came home with a bunch of uh, junk food from Amazon. Um, Very cool. But from my perspective, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. The, we've talked about the main features of the store before. Um, it, it does not have just walkout technology, which the Amazon Go stores have, where the kind of cameras watch you and know what you put in the cart and just charge you when you leave. Um, it has a smart shopping cart called the Dash Cart. So we, we did get a Dash Cart, and the Dash Cart works way better than I expected it to. So it has a screen in it, and it has a bunch of cameras. And, you know, reading about it, I thought, like, oh, you... You have to find the barcode on everything you buy and kind of rotate the barcode um, to be lined up with a camera and, you know, scan it like you would if you were scanning something on your phone or on that self-service checkout, you know, thing at the grocery store. Um, and I have to say the the dash cart has cameras pointed in every direction and it just automatically recognized all the products when they got even close to the cart. So it was really good um at recognizing all the things that were in the cart and so that part was impressive um there's alexas on the aisles that uh can be used for wayfinding i thought that would be a silly gimmick but it actually works shockingly well like you you know you just go like uh you know alexa what aisle is the milk on and it it gives you like it totally understood that and gave you directions like much easier than you know finding someone in a typical grocery store to help you find the peanut butter or whatever. Um, 
So that was interesting. Uh, you know, it has my favorite feature, as you know, Scott. They have digital fact tags with ratings and reviews for every product in the store. Um, so to me, that really uh, ratings and reviews are super impactful in in terms of sales, and that really elevates how important they are when you're now using them for physical shopping. Um, so it had all the things that I had read about. The dash cart worked better than I thought. Uh, the dash cart still is a stupid gimmick, even though it works really well. And I say that because they're afraid you're going to steal the dash cart if they let you take it out of the store. So it kind of defeats the whole purpose. Uh, you you go shopping in the dash cart, which, by the way, is too small and can only fit two shopping bags. Um, and then when you get to the front of the store, someone takes the dash cart away from you and you have to carry your groceries out into the parking lot or transfer them to a not smart cart to push them out to the parking lot. So that seemed like a, a really dumb high, high friction thing. Um, and at the moment they, they have people auditing every smart cart. So you actually like a person has to check to make sure that you, you properly got everything scanned in the cart. And I got to watch her interface. It's pretty spooky. Um, she can see the photo that the dash cart took of every product you put in there. And so she can, she does a quick check to make sure it kind of matches up. So, um, still seems like early days, a little gimmicky on the smart cart. Um, but the biggest surprise of all for me, which I say for the end of this recap, uh, is I will bet you anything that in the near future, this Amazon fresh store is a just walkout store, which surprised the heck out of me. And the reason I say that is because I counted 600 cameras in the ceiling of this store. Like they, so they're they're probably running it in the background, and they'll they'll yeah. They, I think they're collecting they data. Check and, it against the cart. That's exactly right. So I think yeah. ordinarily uh, there are always errors in self checkout, right? But what most retailers have decided is um, being 100 percent accurate is not cost effective. So instead of like. You know, all these self-checkouts used to have scales and they would like throw an error if you scan something that didn't weigh what they expected. And over time, retailers all turned off the scales because they were spending more money like resetting those things than they were for the, you know, the shrinkage when someone bought the wrong product. Um, so it, at first I was like, why would Amazon, why is Amazon spending all this money and adding all this friction to make sure that the cart's 100% accurate? Like it already should be pretty accurate. And I think you just stated the reason because they want a source of truth for exactly what's in that cart so they can match that up with what they thought was in the cart from the the overhead cameras and and optimize that. So I, I definitely think uh, like th- there are way too many cameras and they're configured exactly like a ghost store um, and there's 100 percent coverage on the whole store. Uh, they either did all that to have hyper accurate measurements on how people shop. And so maybe it's just a data collection thing, but I, I think they're, they're getting ready to roll out, just walk out for a, a grocery shop size store. Yeah. When you do these machine learning algorithms too. So what, what they're probably doing is recording from the ceiling and then they have the cart is the source of truth. And then they can go run, you know, 8,000 simulations of the ceiling data and, and it will learn the machine learning algorithm. will use the cart data as the, the, the thing to learn against. And, yeah, so that that's uh that's why they need that that one piece of data, and they don't need it for very long either. They could, you know, they'll have some target of, you know, ninety nine point eight percent accuracy or whatever it is, and so you could see them, you know, after maybe a thousand carts, they have enough data that they could then take the cart part out and then trust the 
the JWAT at a bigger scale? Yeah, no, I think that's again, uh, nobody has said that about the LA store. So I, I'm curious if either no one noticed it or if that's a new thing that they just built into the Chicago store. But uh, um, it was pretty interesting. Having gone on one of these visits, I bet they they didn't climb up into the shelves and pull off the digital fact tag wires and figure out where they went and all the all the things that Retail Gate does. Uh, yeah, the, uh, they almost certainly have have video of me ter- taking apart their fact tags and everything else. <laughs> it's so funny because not that long ago, I remember like you. It was really risky to just take pictures in a store. Like it was illegal to take pictures in a store. Um, and I have gone caught and kicked out of stores for my entire career for taking pictures. And you think about it now, like how, how ridiculous that is. Yeah. There's 600 cameras in the ceiling. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, cool. Well, uh, coming out of Amazon news, um, one of my weird hobbies, uh, is not keyboarding, but, uh, I love to watch, uh, read S ones and follow the road shows for folks that have. So two road shows are live. Um, a lot of people aren't aware that when you go public, when you start your road show, which is usually closed outside of COVID, I imagine this is all being done by Zoom, but you actually put it up on this public website called Retail Roadshow. And right now there's two that I think listeners would find interesting. There's Poshmark and Petco. So those are really good uh, to watch and strongly recommend them. Um, so they'll only be up there typically for seven to 10 days. So this one, if you are interested, uh, strongly recommend checking that out. Um, as an entrepreneur, I love watching these because they're kind of the ultimate pitches, if you will, of, you know, these are companies that are, are obviously pretty large. They're either hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in size. And I always learn something about how they pitch their company, how they talk about it, how they frame things. So I like it from an entrepreneurial perspective, but then I always learn something about cohorts or a new category or um, you know how they talk about subscriptions. There, there's always a ton to learn from these, so I strongly recommend that for listeners. And then you sent me a really cool deck. Um, tell me about this um, consumer trends deck that you discovered. Yeah, uh, so there's a journalist out there that uh, uh, has been writing about commerce and that I followed for a while, Dan Frommer. Um, and, uh, uh, he has started his own newsletter. So there's a, a free version of this newsletter and a paid version of this newsletter. As you know, these kind of, you know, paid newsletters are, are super popular right now. And is kind of one of the ways the good content creators are monetizing their content. Um, but Dan put together a 2021 consumer trends deck um, and that's freely available on the website. So we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, this is a PDF or a 102 uh, slide um, Google Slides deck. Uh, and it's just an awesome recap of all the interesting consumer and retail trends that we've uh, seen and been talking about all through this this pandemic altered year of 2020. Um, so as, as you know, Scott, like, a uh, a giant, uh, uh, super dense deck that we always looked forward to every year is Mary Meeker's kind of state of the internet, um, deck. And as I think you and I were talking about offline, um, I used to really look forward to that deck every year and had a bunch of useful insights in it. In recent years, I found it to be a little derivative and not as exciting or useful for me. 
Um, but flipping through Dan's deck kind of rekindled that excitement that I used to get from the Mary Meeker deck. So this is a uh, uh, for anyone that enjoys this show, I'm pretty confident you're gonna find the deck super interesting. So I'd encourage everyone to to check it out. Uh, and if you're interested, subscribe to Dan's newsletter because he did a great job. Cool, thrown over Meeker for Frommer. Yeah, controversial. Exactly. Let's see how that goes for you. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Meeker is still slightly more successful than Dan so far. She's a VC now, so maybe okay. uh, maybe she'll add some more content and liven it up, shake it up. Especially when she hears that um, you've switched to Frommer. I think that's going to be a shot across the bow for her. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Scott, uh, it has happened again. You know, we took a couple weeks off and we got out of practice. So uh, sure enough, we blew through our allotted time. Um as always, if listeners enjoyed this show, we sure would appreciate that five-star review. Uh, but uh, I hope all the listeners had a wonderful holiday break, and thanks for listening. And we're, uh, please tune in next week to check out the the forecast show to see how much better Scott did than me um, and hear some interesting predictions for this year. Yeah, and uh, 250 episodes. We really appreciate everyone's support. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have really engaged listeners. We love uh, all the feedback we get from you guys and really appreciate it. And looking forward to another great year of commercing. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott show for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing. Subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 